Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. What makes a great leader? Is it genetic or can you learn leadership skills? Join Tom Fox and Richard Lummis in this podcast, where they consider leadership from a wide variety of perspectives, academic, behavioral science, history, popular culture, the movies, and much more. You'll learn about specific tactics and strategies that you can bring to your own leadership toolkit. 12 O'Clock High is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, I visit with Rod Robertson. Rod is the managing partner at Briggs Capital. Talk about some of the interesting developments in the M&A world during the pandemic and Rod's thoughts on leadership for millennials and Gen Zers with baby boomers. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Rod Robertson. Uh, Rod has uh, a really interesting business background and he has some interesting thoughts, I think, on how people <clears throat> our age <clears throat> deal with millennials in the workforce. So, Rod, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Hey, I've been looking forward to it. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Sure, sure. Hey, I was one of those people that. Uh, you know, in, in dealing uh, with so many different generations, I, I always had a hard time finding a job. I never really fit in. It just seemed like my personality was a little bigger, and I thought I knew more than my bosses. So my 20s were a, a trial and uh, error situation, and uh, my family and friends were in despair. People were cutting me off because I was just uh, an out-of-the-box thinker. And, uh, you know, and gradually, uh, not knowing it, I was moving toward the world of entrepreneurship and to uh, thought leadership and uh, to people with bigger and stronger opinions in smaller size businesses. So I ended up, uh, you know, taking a, a winding path to business ownership over the years, owned a couple different businesses, bought uh, my first business. It was a pet supply company and because uh, I love dogs. So I bought it and built it up to 10 million and sold it. And then I jumped into a tech company that tanked, and then I did another one that did pretty good. So I was one win, one loss, one draw as a uh, as a business owner, and uh, that, w- that was a lot of fun, all three of them. So for our studio audience, it's quite small, and this is an audio podcast, so I'm going to have to just stop here because Rod is the first person I have ever interviewed who has Gibbons the complete Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire on his bookshelf. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, the greatest series ever written on history. Mm-hmm. So I have to congratulate you on that. Uh, and that, in my mind, qualifies you for about everything. That's, that's a great series. Yeah, it really is. And literally, you're the only person I've ever seen have that up on your bookshelf. So obviously, I'm a big fan. Um, but that aside, um, could you tell us what your current role is at Briggs Capital? Sure. So for the last 20 years, I've been uh, the managing partner of a small investment bank called Bricks Capital. And what we do is we represent entrepreneurs, people that want to buy businesses, uh, families that want to sell businesses, people that need uh, to raise cash for their businesses uh, domestically and abroad. So 70 percent of our business is, you know, in the United States and 30 percent uh, ranges around the world. And uh, I, I have 70 percent of my fun around the world. And uh, with the 30% business I do there, but, you know, I I just have a a great affinity. I've been to over, you know, 55 countries and I spend a lot of time there. And uh, 
written some books, uh, you know, collaborating with uh, Spanish and then people from Belarus. I just had a new book come out uh, that's done very well. And, you know, so I am uh, like to think myself of a man of the world and uh, been uh, I probably dealt with over, you know, a good thousand entrepreneurs in their quest to buy businesses. So I've uh, probably captained a uh, hundred transactions for entrepreneurs uh, in, in all sorts of different phases and countries. So uh, I'm deep into uh, fulfilling other people's dreams and having their dreams come true and uh, getting after it. And uh, you, you meet the most fascinating people in entrepreneurship. Uh, Briggs Capital, your company, and one of your partners, Stuart Robles, were recognized by Axial for a, quote, no-show, end quote, transaction during COVID. I found that fascinating. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what is a no-show transaction and how did you guys come up with it, uh, mother being a, a necessity of invention or some other reason? You know, it's 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 we were one of the first people to do it, but it's happening everywhere, and we're on our third one now deal where we never meet the buyer, we never meet the seller, and the buyer and seller never meet, and they buy a business without even touching or being at the business. Everything is done through Zoom, no personal meetings, uh, you know, and it, if, at first it was just a hard to get your hands around it and get a grip on it that uh, people would do it, uh, you know, but it's happening all the time now. And over 50% of those smaller businesses that are done out of, you know, where it's not a direct geographic uh, correlation uh, are doing businesses. A lot of them are being done without anyone ever meeting anyone. It's just, it's pretty incredible. But uh, I used to spend before 50% of my time, uh, you know, traversing uh, the, the states and overseas. But now, you know, the lockdown where everyone's finding out and everyone's accepting the new norm of uh, doing business uh like this call and getting out there and uh, finding different ways to make sure that uh, the bricks and mortars are there if you need it. And uh, everything else is just flying through the internet. There really was a reason that I called out your um, six volume Gibson uh, set. And, and then now listening to you, one of the things that occurs to me is you're inherently curious. And you, as you talked about your businesses that you've had and the people you've dealt with at Briggs Capital, uh, would that be a fair assessment of you? Yes. I mean, curiosity kills the cat and I've uh, been killed past my nine lives, you know, and uh, I've been in a, really, I could say I've been in so many different positions uh, that other people don't want to be in and, uh, you know, on my own or with other people in business and, and also in big adventures overseas. So, uh, you know, I, I have a big ranch down in Panama now where the people are wrestling our cattle because the virus is so strong down there. Uh, you know, they're, they're just taking our cattle. Um, I'm involved. Uh, I'm in the World Trade Center in Kiev, Ukraine, and we're having troubles over there. So I don't think uh, Americans really understand the trouble that is cascading around the world and how lucky we are here to uh, have the largest of our government just spilling maybe too much money on everyone from top to bottom. And there'll be a price to be paid for this. But uh, right now, uh, America is looking great compared to the rest of the world. So let me ask you about SPACs. Many of the listeners of this podcast are in the compliance space, and they are struggling with how to deal with SPACs yep. because they're a little bit different than a, an M&A, a traditional M&A deal. And so I was wondering, from your perspective, um, as someone who puts buyers and sellers together, have SPACs changed uh, your business model, your approach, or, or is it just a different way to do a transaction? 
Well, SPACs are such a unique animal, and they've been around for a long time, but now they've gotten sexy with everyone. And, uh, you know, but it, most of it is, is, is really an insider's game. Uh, you know, when, when you're out there with a SPAC, you're putting your money in. It's a great deal if you're with the right people that are doing the right thing and they know what they're doing. But as an investor, you're putting your money, say you put a million dollars into a SPAC. And you're going to get 14% interest on it. You should at a minimum. And you'll, you can sit there for two years. You don't know what everyone's going to buy. So with this SPAC, you're sitting there, your money's going, your money's inside this company along with everyone else's. The, the owners of the SPAC are out hunting for a business and you don't know what they're going to come up with. They, they have certain expertise uh, that they're hunting for. And that's why you're comfortable to go with these guys and gals. But now they're out there and uh, they're finding a company. They find it and they say, we want to buy this company using this pile of money that you all put in here and make it public so that we can trade in and out of it. So then you go ahead and you they go and you vote. Am I in or am I out? You can retreat or you go ahead with the group. And uh, there are people are making spectacular uh, fines and monies uh, doing this right now. And uh I just had some wealthy friends of mine uh, call me up the other day, and these guys are really been around Wall Street a long time, and uh, you know they're big fish, and I'm a little fish, and they're like, "Hey, Rod, you know what? We we just uh, we just put in uh, ten million into a spec. Do you want us to cut in?" I like guys. I, I don't know much about it. They said, "Well, we think you should put in a couple hundred grand at least, and uh, and ride along with us." And I said, "Well, I don't know a lot about specs." They said, "Well, they're hot," and they gave me the sort of the rundown I just gave you, and. Uh, so you know what? I'm going to be a riverboat gambler. I'll put in 250 to to see where it's going to go and uh, hope for the best. And they're they're telling me that you get your money out at the end if if they don't go ahead. So let me change the focus a little bit. And you've alluded to this uh, a little bit early when you talked about your love of dogs. I share that same love, um, but uh, you've used the phrase "dependence of the pandemic." Can you tell us what you meant by that? Yes, I mean the the world of dogs and and uh, the, their place in the workplace. Most people don't take their cats to work, but people want to take their animals. And everyone that was locked up over the last year, there's been a huge surge in the uh, the purchase of uh, dogs and cats. The cats can you know fend for themselves a day at home, but the dogs it's a, they're a different animal. And uh, you know what are the people going to do? It's like having a baby. You know you're going to go there. And you're, you're going to be fighting over Gen Z and millennials, you know, the best of the best workers that everyone's moving to and focusing to because of the pivot of technology. And all of a sudden they, they have uh, young pups. And uh, if they're working at home and you're trying to drag them into the office like it used to be, it's not going to happen. Because a lot of these people are going to say, I want to find a company that respects my relationship with my dog. And I can bring my dog in or I can work at home with my, 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 my pet. So... Owners, it was almost like a laughable oddity before, but now over 50% of ownership now is making special arrangements for pets. And before the average person took 185 square feet of space in a uh, in an urban setting for a workspace, now it's up to 300 because of the new spacing. So there's room for, uh, for to, to bring the dogs to work, and, it, and it's very, very healthy too. So owners are adjusting to it. They better because they're going to lose a lot of their uh, the best and the brightest, and uh, it's it's going to be a real tug of war between uh, 
who, who's going to get the people. And uh, the final lever between competing companies are going to be how are you going to treat my pooch? When I read the story about you, the really the first thing that struck me after it was clear of your love for dogs uh, was that um, this was incredibly important to the Gen Zers and millennials. If I can use the phrase younger people. Uh, mm-hmm. But it also indicated to me that you have to perhaps manage Gen Z and millennials different than you and I were managed when we were that age. And I was wondering this lesson about bringing dogs to work. Uh, does that teach us anything about managing Gen Z's and millennials or is it something different? I, I think it teaches that you really can't manage them in a traditional way of from the old world. And what's the old world? I have, you know, five years ago is like before the Roman empire. And, uh, what, you know, to me, the, and to all the different people in the publications and the public speaking I, I do, there, the, this whole post-pandemic world and the pivot to technology is driving people over 50 years old to the exit if they don't uh, switch to technology. And, you know, all the firms, we you know, ad nauseum, we've heard about all the businesses that are going out and this and that. But you know what? The big pivots going on fueled by the government and, the, you know, the, the, the more technology there is, the better. And, uh, you know, there's a phrase I coined, you know, I'm sure other people too, but it's called reverse mentorship of uh, the, the people over 45 uh, who, and just picking that as an arbitrary date, uh, that aren't as technology driven as the young people. And we should let these young people mentor us in their ways in their life, because they're going to be the ones that are going to see us out the door eventually. And uh, we want it to be on our own time and not on uh, and be forced out. I in, in uh, I was on a Zoom call where someone talked about reverse mentorship inside their corporation, mm-hmm. and they did exactly that, except they reversed it so that the younger millennials and Gen Zs were actually mentoring senior executives on precisely the issues they talked about. So uh, I really found that a fascinating concept and something that we, as in you and I, uh, should certainly listen to. Um, Goldman Sachs has been in the news recently. And uh, they were in the news because a group of employees uh, either leaked or somehow got out a PowerPoint presentation about the hours they work per week. And it was 100 hours per week. Um, I grew up in a big law firm as a young professional. And although I didn't work 100-hour weeks, I worked 80- and 70-hour weeks. I'm sure in your profession, you've also worked long hours as well. And my experience was that's just the way it is. and Everyone accepted it. And so when I read that story, um, I thought about my experience, and I, I would never have had the courage to say something's not right here, um, go along to get along or whatever it was. But what does that story tell us about uh, managing millennials and then the reputational damage a company can't sustain by abusing its employees in such a manner? You know, everyone is so careful now of the optics of how they're viewed and any series of blogs, any series of uh, critiquing of a company could just crush it for the next round because everyone's watching. So the companies, I I think, are becoming much more pragmatic, the big giants. But how many people really are working on those big Wall Street outfits? Uh, you know, I, I think this this new post-pandemic world is allowing the, the younger generations to carve out the way they that they want to work. They're saying now a third of the people will go back to work as it was before. A third will be 50-50, and a third are going to work from home. 
And the, but, you know, the people that are working from home full time all the time, you know, they, they got to be a little concerned because if you're out of sight and out of mind and the bosses are from the old school, you know, the people that are hoofing it into work are going to have a leg up on you when the con- uh, when the, the economy starts, uh, you know, not doing so well that people are predicting next year. So it's not always good to be outside of, uh, the, you know, the work environment, but uh, certain flexibilities there. But the, the, these draconian 100 hour weeks, I mean, I think will be unsustainable, except for the people that want to be lashed to the mass like that. Change the focus a little bit and ask, has the past year, the coronavirus health crisis and the pandemic changed the way you or Briggs Capital has done business? I mean, every everything's changed. And uh, yes, I mean, deals are getting done like we talked about, out of sight, out of mind. But there has been a paralysis of deals, too. Our deal flow is down about 50 percent because you know everyone's numbers were down. So if people are valuing their business on the net profit of a company, Say your company has a, a $1 million bottom line and the owner was looking to get six times that or six million and half the bottom one away this this last uh, eight months, then, you know, the, your value of your company slips. So no one's selling. Uh, the companies are flooded artificially and bloated with uh, PPP money. So there's this weird paralysis going on out there where the Marcos uh, taking this artificial turn of downturn but glutted with money. And then, of course, there's all the employees that don't want to come back to work. I was just uh, at a board meeting uh, where a guy has 50 employees that were uh, millennials and everyone else, and they're all collecting unemployment, and they don't want to come back to work. He opened up his doors, 40,000 square foot, and uh, they all, like, balked at coming back because most of them are collecting, and uh, they just didn't want to get back in there. For These are for the people making uh, sub-50,000. Looking down the road, sort of 2025 and even beyond, what do you see that companies and more particularly business leaders need to think about regarding the management of Gen Zs and millennials and whatever the next uh, group may be called? The the gap between senior managers, say say we're, we're talking about uh, like my, my, my daughters and son, they all work in tech companies, work in boiler rooms right now, selling, selling, selling. They're, they do best with the, the bosses that are in their 30s and not in their 50s or 60s. I mean, there's just too much of a gap now. And technology is splitting and, and the, the difference, the, 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 the Gen Zs, the, you know, the 21 to 24-year-olds are so much more advanced in technology than the millennials at uh, around the age 30. There's a totally different uh, paradigm about uh, adaption to technology and uh, they all know it. So uh, if you're 35 and older, uh, you've really got to get in the groove of technology or you're, you're going to lose the ear of your audience that you're managing. Ron, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But I was wondering if any of our listeners wanted any more information on the topics you've uh, discussed here in this podcast. Where could they go? Sure. If you want to take a look at some of my books or you can check out my website, it's called BriggsCapital.com. And uh, I welcome any inquiries or anything. I've met great people uh, across America over the last year on, on uh, out there speaking. And uh, any way I can uh, shed some light, uh, I like coaching and teaching at this besides um, uh, creating wealth for people as well. Ron, I want to thank you for taking the time to visit with me. This has been a fascinating episode. And so I hope that we may be able to continue the conversation in the future. Very good. You know where to find me. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership. Also, check out the uh, article that the 
podcast is uh, uh, based upon in the show notes. Please join us again for our next episode where uh, Richard Lummis and I will take another look at leadership. 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.